Chris Curry currently divides his time between heading up the Pensions Policy Institute and the Pension Dashboard Programme. Rachel Vahey is AJ Bell's policy development expert. In this episode, together they run through the current state of play on pension dashboards, the key issues for the industry, and what dashboards might deliver in the fullness of time, both for consumers and for the industry. Anyway, look, Chris, can you kick us off? Just give us a quick recap on the journey that's brought us here and and then also what are you doing now? Of course, Tom. Uh, so it's, it's quite hard to do a quick recap of pensions dashboards because they've been around for a, a very long time. I seem to remember in the early 2000s and combined benefit pension statements and things like that were the kind of precursor of dashboards, I guess. But the current incarnation of what we might recognize as pensions dashboards probably kicked off around 2015. Yeah. I think in that year in particular, there was a Work and Pension Select Committee recommendation. There was the Retirement Market Income Study by the FCA, which uh, recommended pensions dashboards should be introduced in the UK. And really, I think it was the Financial Advice Market Review that the FCA did, which I think concluded early 2016, which actually, interesting, I was I was just reading this to check it up, I think recommended that the Treasury challenged the pensions industry to deliver pensions dashboards by 2019, which I think is, is where it all really kicked off. And to be honest, uh, to be fair, I think the industry did really start to run with that challenge. The ABI and other industry but bodies were... Particularly led by the ABI. It was, I, I think the ABI took a, took a leading role in, in kind of steering and, and progressing the project to make sure that it happened. And from, from 2016, for a couple of years onwards, they, they did a lot of really good work. And I think that they they proved the concept. Pilot that projects. They? they had the pilot work. that, that they, they kind of did some of the technical work to show that it could work with dummy data. In, in practice, and so kind of dashboards were technically feasible. So to interrupt, but again, just you know, in that there were what 15, 20 firms who put cash on the table, who committed resources to, to doing that project. And I think it's easy to forget that you know there, there were firms actively trying to make it happen back then. I, I think that's right. It's important to remember that, that and there always has been. I, I think a, a kind of a part of the industry which has been very keen for pensions dashboards to to exist uh, and have been very supportive with their own cash and their own time in trying to make that happen. I think the difficulty comes and the difficulty came in particular for that for that project is that while there were 15 to 20 organisations who were keen on doing it, there's a, a much, much larger number of organisations who either weren't that interested or weren't aware or, to, to be frank, haven't been that interested in dashboards. Yeah, yeah. And from the very outset, especially if you look back at the initial FCA recommendations, that what they think pensions dashboards should be has always been very clear which is it should be a place where individuals can see all of their pensions together in one place. So that includes the state pension, but it also includes all private pensions, not just, for example, defined contribution pensions, but also defined benefit pensions. And it's that seeing all the pensions together, which is the really difficult bit, because in order for that to work, it means you need every pension scheme fund to participate. And there were a lot of pension schemes at that point looking at the IT spend and the data issues and just coming to the conclusion that, well, we'll do it when we're forced to, but not before. Yeah, or or kind of assuming that that it wasn't something that they ever really needed to do. And I think, I mean, it's interesting. Time changes things very quickly. I mean, IT, for example, changes incredibly quickly. But I think what we found 
or, or what, what you might have seen over time is that large part of the industry is just not used to engaging with customers on a regular basis. It's not in the business of providing information to, to their customers. And so for them, dashboards didn't seem to be particularly important. And I think we've had one of the challenges we've had is to actually prove there is value to consumers from having dashboards and seeing all their pensions together, which I think we've, we've demonstrated very clearly. And I think through that, that has led to a kind of a change of view of some within the industry, not all. There are still some people out there who are kind of thinking, well, uh, I'm not sure our members need to see a pensions dashboard, that, that we, they get most of their pension information from us. Why do they need to see anything else? But I think we, we've kind of overcome the, the majority of that hurdle. But as you say, it's not going to be easy for the industry to do. It's not going to be cheap for the industry to do. And that's why the government has needed to become involved in this through legislation to make it mandatory for, for those schemes to participate with the dashboards. Which is where we're at now. So this is now a thing. It is happening. There is no wriggling out of this. This is DWP legislation has been passed to say you must do this and set a time frame in place. Just talk, Can you just talk a bit more about kind of where that now that delivery process has now got to? Yeah, no, exactly, Tom. And that's one of the really important parts of, of what we've been able to do in the Pensions Dashboards program here at the Money and Pension Service, where we started in 2019. So kind of that, that 2019 date came up again, although it's when we started rather than when we actually delivered, which I think is picked up fairly frequently nowadays. But, but in my mind, we didn't start until then. We had the Pension Schemes Bill, which became the Pension Schemes Act about this time last year. So in, in 2021, and that does provide us with the primary legislation, which requires every pension scheme and pension provider, and we think there's probably around 30,000 of them in the UK, to at some point connect up with the pensions dashboard infrastructure, which is what we are constructing at the moment. So there's been a lot of progress since then. There's a lot going on both on the legislative side. So at the end of January, and we're still in the middle of a consultation yeah. period at the moment, the DWP published their, their draft regulations. And alongside that, we've had uh, also consultations from the, the FCA and the Financial Reporting Council, which are linked to dashboards as well. And those I think consultations generally tend to close. I think they're closing in March. So uh, if you're, if there are people listening to this who want to get their responses in, please do it relatively quickly. But it's not just about the legislation and the industry timetable. We've also had to do a lot of work on the technical side. So we have appointed Capgemini and Origo as our technical suppliers to provide that kind of digital architecture, which will enable pensions dashboards to operate. We've appointed DigiIdentity as our interim digital identity provider, a really important part of the dashboard system. So people can prove that they are who they say they are and give the industry real confidence that they're providing the right information to the right people. And of course, doing this within government, within industry also brings its own separate challenges. As soon as you start to spend government money on something, there is a whole host of governance uh, around that. So we spend a lot of time working very closely with, for example, the, the Cabinet Office and the Government Digital Service to make sure that we are delivering a, a compliant quality digital service on behalf of government. And this is uh, this about procurement processes? So it's a number of things. So it, there are obviously procurement issues and uh, and things we need to go through, which have taken, taken time, to be fair, to do that. And we had to make it a very open and transparent process, as all government procurements are. So everyone has an opportunity to participate in that. But it's also, I think, about meeting digital standards. 
And so as we go through the program, we are continually being monitored by GDS to ensure that what we're producing is going to be consumer friendly and work in the interest of consumers and prove we've done the testing. Sorry, Chris, GDS? GDS is the Government Digital Service. That's fine. Acronyms abound even more so within the government than they do generally in the pensions world, which is quite hard to believe, I know. So so now we are a government programme. We're also now part of the government major project portfolio in the top 100 most important and largest government projects, which means we have a a fairly high degree of oversight from organisations like the Infrastructure and Projects Authority who come in on a regular basis to review what we're doing, to test that the the programme is being run to the highest possible standards, that that we're getting very good value for money from the work that we do, that we're likely to hit the timelines that we're setting ourselves, all those kinds of things. So as well as all the work that we're seeing with the industry, and there's an awful lot of that which we are in at the moment, there's also quite a machinery behind what we're doing that we have to to make sure that what we're doing is is above board best practice and meeting all the government criteria as well as most importantly being something that will deliver for the consumer and that consumer need what it is that consumers want from dashboards is running right the way through the heart of the program um rachel's sitting here patiently listening to us so rachel i'll bring you in in a moment because i really want to get the industry perspective on this as well but just uh, i've got a couple, couple more kind of thoughts and questions around that so you, know, you talked about the, the infrastructure oversight, and there's a lot of reporting up the lines on that kind of stuff, isn't there? There's a lot of people wanting to sign off on stuff, and my limited experience as kind of public sector activities is you, you get into a lot of processes around sign off, and, and it, you know, it may generally, hopefully, make sure things are done well in the end, but certainly relative to working in the private sector, it feels sometimes everything takes a long time, and there's a lot of a lot of hoops to be jumped through. There is a lot of governance involved, and and, and that's understandable. I, I mean, despite what might have happened in the last couple of years, the procurement rules are incredibly precise. They're there for very specific reasons. And when you think about the fact that we are spending tens of millions of pounds of taxpayers' money, we want it to be done in a way which ensures value for money. That means we're not spending more than we have to, that we're getting the best suppliers, that we're getting the best working relationships, that the program is being run to the highest standards. And yes, that means that every time we get to a specific stage, we have to get sign-off, not just from the Department for Work and Pensions, but also from the Treasury and also from the Cabinet Office. It means that we are reviewed on a regular basis by independent experts from across government to come in and look at how we're doing it. But I, I don't think I'd have it any other way. I mean, it really does mean that we are confident that we're doing things in the right way and that what we're going to deliver is going to be the service that will work best for consumers. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And as you say, we've got consultation still out as we're recording this on various aspects of, of the pension dashboard. I was also really interested in all the consumer research that got published alongside that. And I want to come on to the consumer kind of perspective on this in a moment. But I mean, Rachel, just from, from the industry's point of view, how does this now feel like it's progressing? Is this because I mean, one of the things that struck me is the time frame is quite tight. So there's a question around the industry's preparedness, even though, as Chris says, this has been lumbering over the horizon at us for a number of years. And also, I'm just really interested in the industry's appetite to kind of pick this up and run with it and make this a, a positive asset or, or just kind of like this is just a chore. So I'm just kind of interested in your thoughts around all of that. It's an interesting situation because it's almost like two contrary views going along at the same time. Like Chris, I remember this being discussed 20 years ago, probably in the same meetings, Chris, um, (laughs) and the consolidated uh, pension statements and things like that. So in a way, it seemed like a, a long time coming. And I know that if I went out now and spoke to 10 advisors, the reaction I would probably get 
And what you get with all providers as well is people in the industry are going, really? Is it really happening? Are you sure it's really happening this time? And I think it's just you cannot underestimate how big a job this is. This is a massive job. And therefore, it's just going to take quite a long, to use the word again, quite a long lumbering time to get here. And we are now getting to the stage when we have just got an absolute massive amount of information which has been given to us over the last few weeks, some very tight timescales to respond to the DWP on. Interestingly, the consultation finishes just before midnight on Sunday, the 13th of March. So that's obviously what the DWP expect me to be doing with my weekend. (laughs) I don't think I will be doing that, but... You never know. So it does seem like it's a really long timescale. But and then we've got this pinch point where it's really quite frantic and looking at all this a massive amount of information. And I know that Chris lives and breathes this, but, you know, maybe the rest of us don't. And we're trying to get up to speed with exactly what's happening, what is proposed, how it's going to work in practice. The industry has got a lot of jobs to do before they connect They've got a lot of data cleansing to do. They've got to figure out how to connect. I'm certainly no technician when it comes to this area. I look at it very much in very broad brush strokes, this. So I know that we have to connect to the dashboard and I know that we need somebody to help us do that. And that's an ISP. And I know that we now have to find an ISP to work with. But this is all the ISP's potential service providers are now sort of just getting to grips with what's happening and starting to look at this. So we're only beginning to see this market develop. And even when we connect, and we're due to connect between April and June next year. That's not far away. No, it's not. And it's a lot of work to do. But it's, I understand completely the staging timetable reasoning. None of this I'm disagreeing with the work that the PDP has done or the DWP. But even when we connect and we connect by June 2023 and we've got everything there, we still have to wait for everyone else to then connect after us. So the person I need to tell my friends down the pub or whatever, you know, real people, normal people who don't work in the industry and telling them when are they actually going to be able to see anything on a dashboard, it's still quite a long way away. It's going to be, I don't think there's a date for it and I'm not going to tease Chris into giving us a date or anything like that, but it's still going to be another, a good two, whatever, two years, two and a half years. There's this long tail of small schemes that don't even have a time frame at the moment. Uh, Yeah, you, you, you are right about that. I was going to say, Rachel, don't worry about teasing me. Uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you because I don't know <laughs> when it's going to be. <laughs> anyway, we, we don't have a secret date that we haven't told anyone. But but that's absolutely right. I mean, th- th- there's a number of different things which which have to happen, and connecting schemes to the infrastructure is the first step in all of that. And and I can I can hear what Rachel's saying about the, the challenges for the industry. Some of them I, I think uh, are very real. I think some of them, some, such as the data cleansing, I think could have already started. I think if people had believed what we been saying for the past 18 months about when staging was likely to start, then, then it, it could have been started earlier. But there's still, I think, plenty of work to happen. And there will be, I think, between now and whenever dashboards become available, a real job for us in PDP and in government and with the industry to make sure that when dashboards do become available, they are something which people are aware of and are interested of. And, and I think it's, it's a challenge to make sure that, that the consumers know what they can do 
when they can do it. But equally, we don't want to get them ready too soon because the last thing we want is people clamouring for dashboards and them, them not being available. So, so for a pension scheme or a pension provider, I mean, obviously AJ Bell will be ready, but for, for schemes that are perhaps less on top of their data, what are the consequences if they miss their deadline? Well, those are going through the draft regulations at the moment. There will be powers given to uh, the pensions regulator and the FCA who will be monitoring the joining of providers to the infrastructure and they will have a range of potential penalties and things which they can they can impose i think what we would prefer to do and what we'll be initially very keen on doing is actually helping as many of those schemes as possible in advance of those dates and i think throughout the rest of this year so as i mentioned we're we're actually a long way through building that technical infrastructure already we're due to have an end to end kind of system in place by the early summer of this year and then we're going to start testing it with real providers and I think it's through testing it with those real providers that we'll learn those lessons and then it's really it's, it is only the biggest providers that are going to be connecting up in the early stages and working with them with their administrators with as Rachel's mentioned the kind of integrated service providers that we think are going to build up we want to help them to get into the right place so ideally that there shouldn't be that many if any of the the kind of early early schemes that need to stage who, who are not able to do what they need to do and connect into the system by the time they reach their their deadlines. I think it's also, it's just worth maybe, as usual, just recognising what else is going on in our world as well. I'm not saying none of this is achievable because I think it is. It's just a lot of hard work. And I'm just looking at it from the position of, um, well, AJ Bell at the moment. We've just been through having to introduce transfer regulations very, very quickly. We're now working to implement stronger nudges Again, very, very quickly. We've got national insurance changes. About got national insurance changes coming through. We've got consumer duty coming through as well. And at the moment, that's we're not exactly sure where that's going to land, but I'm sure that's going to be quite a lot of work. There's talk about introducing default funds for non-workplace mm-hmm. pensions. So that's another big chunk of work. Um, so, yeah, don't misunderstand me. It's all achievable. It's just, it's a really, really busy time. and. Sometimes it would be good if we could get someone from government or regulators to sort of like, you know, maybe follow the customer's shoes, you know, sit in the customer's shoes and see it from our point of view of where we've got all these different things coming in from different well, regulators and different government departments. I, I, know there, I know there are regulators listening to this podcast. <laughs> perhaps perhaps that, that, that will be taken on board. It also sounds like it's, it's, it's a good time to be a programmer because you know, <laughs> uh, but I'd, I'd be interested from from either of you where you think there might be particular pinch points in terms of data i mean a relatively young and fast-growing business like aj bell you know, even with your hundreds of thousands of, of, of customers probably better place than many but there are schemes out there that have been around for decades and then there's the db schemes so any, any thoughts on where, you know, where are the pinch points, where are the particular worry points? Uh, so I think I think you've identified some of them there. It's it's the, the older schemes, defined benefit in particular, where, for example, there are some really good defined benefit schemes, let's make it really clear, who have online portals, who provide valuations on a regular basis for their members. They can view them, all those kind of things, which is brilliant, which is exactly what we need in the kind of digital age that we're now in. But there are others where valuations are only done on request and they have two months before they have to reply back to the person who's requested it. And if it's not requested, they won't do evaluation until that individual comes to take their pension for retirement, and then it's done manually. And we know that for some of those schemes, for example, it's going to be a real challenge because pensions dashboards do not work in a manual, non-digital 
only on request age, dashboards require there to be regular valuations available at short notice and ideally at very, very short, almost instant notice for whoever in your scheme wants to see it. So you're not going to know who in your scheme is going to ask for it. Mm. So we know that there's going to be a real challenge for schemes that aren't used to providing that type of information. Firstly, to make sure they they have those calculations to hand and already done in advance rather than doing them when they're requested to move into the world of automation and also to make that type of information available to be accessed digitally. So there's there's some real challenges there. Now, it sounds like an awful lot of work, but but some of this we think is it, it's really important for the consumer benefit. And really, we, we think consumers will gain an awful lot from being able to see that information rather than being put off actually getting it, knowing they might have to wait two months and not even knowing who or where to ask well, uh, as part of that. End, it, in the end, it's for the industry's benefit too. You know, we just got to go through this pain to get there. In the end, we hope uh, we yeah. come out the side better able to serve our customers and to conduct our business effectively, right? Absolutely. And it's about changing the way that business operates because ideally, if you change the systems, then actually the the out-retirement process should become much clearer and smoother and much easier and give a much better outcome for, for the individuals as well. But it's not just defined benefit. I mean, I think data cleansing is really important. And one of the issues that we know even some of the biggest providers and especially those who use automatic enrollment are going to face is a lot of the information that they have has been collected and supplied by employers. And so they need to make sure... That 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 is accurate. So that when an individual puts in their information about themselves, their name, their address, their national insurance number, their date of birth, for example, that they can find the pensions that they own. And so we need to make sure that that each pension provider has that correct information on an accurate level in order to be able to, to match individuals with their pensions and to be able to report back the right information. So we know there are a number of challenges in different areas. But again, I would ask the question, how comfortable can anyone be knowing that you don't know all the information about all your members that you need in order to pay them their benefits? It's it's really important, I think, that we get to a stage where good quality data is taken for granted rather than being seen as something that we have to work hard to achieve. And for Rachel's friends down the pub, you know, we, we accept, okay, so there is that long tail of small schemes, but they're going to be a tiny percentage of the overall membership of the UK pension system. So at what point can we, it'll never be completely done, we'll never have 100% coverage, or maybe we will one day, but that's maybe a bit of way off, you know, at what point can we say, uh, are we looking at 2024, 2025? At what point do we say, yeah, this is now working pretty well? What, what, what's your sense on that, Chris? Yeah, so there's there's a number of different factors that we'll need to take into account before we can say, yes, we think pensions dashboards should now be available to the public. Although to be really clear, we will give notice. We won't just say, actually, from tomorrow, they're going to be available. We're going to we're going to build in a timeline to make sure that everyone knows uh, uh, in order to get ready. Evening, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Sorry, Rachel, another weekend spent working on it. <laughs> So uh, you're right, it's coverage is really important. And all the consumer research that we've seen so far says that if people go on a dashboard and only get partial responses, that they're generally not very happy and, and might not come back to use the service again. And we really don't want that to happen. So there needs to be a very large proportion of the pension scheme memberships, be it the state pension from the large defined contribution schemes from the defined benefit schemes that are available to be seen on the dashboard. At the very least, they need to know where their pensions are. But also, I think we also need to know that the data that is working with those providers is good enough to give that answer to the individuals. If you go onto a pensions dashboard and you get 15 responses where 13 of them saying, we think we might have information for you, but we're not not sure. Can you follow up with us, please? Then again, that might not be a very good customer experience. So it's a combination of when we get 
the schemes, enough schemes connected. And I think in connection terms, when I think look at our staging timeline, we get most of the big DC schemes in throughout 2023 and then the DB schemes into early 2024. I mean, that might give you the coverage, but what we haven't been able to test yet is going to be that data quality. And so it's those kind of things that we're going to have to make sure are up to standard before we we start to say that anyone can access pensioners dashboards. And we'll be testing that continually right from the time that we complete the build and first start to hook schemes up, testing it all the time to see where we are. Right. But in terms of managing expectations from what you've just said, we're looking at least a couple of years yet before before we're even in a position to think about actually turning the lights on and saying, come on in. Yeah, I think in terms of, of it being available to anybody who wants to use it, I mean, obviously, we will also be doing some testing with real people and with real data as we go through the program all the way through. So there will be some who will be invited on a kind of limited basis to test and see how it works for them, which we can get feedback from. But but yes, I mean, I think we've been clear all along that for dashboards to be available, we need to get a high level of coverage and a, and a, a good level of reporting for individuals. I think the area of matching data that Chris was just going through, I think that's one of the interesting aspects of the dashboards at the moment from where we're looking at, because the dashboards are such Unfortunately, and it's it's just one of these really unsavory truths that it's not good to talk about. But unfortunately, this is going to be very appealing to scammers. There is an element of how do we protect people from being scammed? And I know that the, the work that Chris has done has put that absolutely centre of everything that they're, they're trying to, to achieve. And you get that very much when you read the the consultation, that the focus is there at protecting people. This is about consumer protection. We need to figure out exactly how that works with matching data and partial matches. And we just need to make sure, and I'm probably preaching to the choir now, Chris, but we need to make sure that we carry on doing that and we carry on putting people absolutely centre for protecting them. Because we could have a situation that it's not only getting hold of pension information, it's the fact that you're sat in front of a dashboard at home and you could it's the ability to be able to match up somebody's information just generally so that you're able to match up names against Nino numbers against dates of birth against all of these things that then you have the full picture of somebody's information and identity and it's just making sure that we can protect from the dashboard being abused in that matter and, and, and abused in that way and I'm sure that is what we're aiming to do. But it's always, I think, just worth reiterating that. Yeah, that's right, Rachel. It's really important that not only are dashboards and the way they operate, the whole infrastructure and ecosystem incredibly secure, but the people are aware that they're incredibly secure and very safe in doing that. That the whole design of the ecosystem, as you say, is is very clearly, very obviously one that, that limits potential points of weakness as we go through. So for example, the central architecture will only handle the initial request. Any values which go back don't go back through anywhere else. So they only exist in the current place where they exist with the provider and in front of the individual who's requested them. I think that the the dashboards will not be receiving information from providers, which include that personal information. It's only the information that the individual has already provided that will be shown there. So so we're doing everything we can, but obviously we know scammers always tend to stay one step ahead. How long will that data get cached for, Chris? Because because someone comes back an hour later, will they have to go through the whole request again or will it be retained for a period? So that's the kind of technical level question that I think we're working through at the moment. But it it will not be there for long. But equally, we're kind of setting up kind of special uh, 
pension tokens, which don't store the information, but store a flag to the provider that this person has an account. And so when they go through the system, it should be almost instantaneous to, to get that information back again. So they won't need to, to re-enter all their information again. It should be relatively straightforward to, to go back in, but the cash will, will not be there for a long period of time. An important question, I guess, when we're talking about dashboards and scams, but also what's in the consumer interest is, is kind of what do we want people to to do with their data once they have it? And one of the key areas for the consultation, which we're very interested to hear views about, is is kind of what what should people be able to do? Should there be an export function for the data, for example, that they can then use in other places to be able to do something with their on their journey, to be able to use it in tools or calculators, to be able to go to an IFA or uh, somewhere else to get guidance about consolidation, those kind of things. So there's a whole host of different issues that we're, we are working with and actually still looking to get real input from the industry on. And Rachel, presumably you'd be pretty supportive of that kind of functionality? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of angles here. First of all, it's um, looking at what the data shows and the dashboard will just show data and it'll just give you just a data feed. That will include a projection of anticipated benefits of retirement as well, won't it? It will, yeah. It's not and just look, current value, it's also no. future value, yeah? Yeah, and I'm sure Chris will pick me up here, but it's uh, for money purchase, which is all we're, we're looking at at the moment. It's the, the fund value, then it's a projected fund value, but it's also looking, taking those two fund values and converting them into an annualised income. So really, I think just applying an annuity rate to them. Interestingly enough, I don't think that includes tax-free cash as a as a projection. So you would just show taking £100,000 and applying an annuity rate to it to give you an annualised income, but it wouldn't include taking like 25% off for tax-free cash, which I think that's one of the areas I find a little bit strange because I would imagine, I don't know the exact figures, but I imagine it's going to be 90% and above of our customers who will take their tax-free cash. And I worry about giving people an income projection which hasn't taken off tax-free cash because it could look just a little bit over-ambitious, a little bit too good. And obviously, we just need to give people a realistic picture. But all of this data, which the dashboards are going to give them to them, there's, a, there's, there's two issues. There's understanding the data And then there's interpretation of it. And what do you do with the data after that? Looking at the data, it's important that all the data is there. And we completely agree with that. But it is really, it's going to be quite difficult, I think, because defined benefits pensions are so completely different from defined contribution pensions. People use different illustration dates. You're going to get all sorts of different information coming out. And I know that we've tried for consistency as much as possible, but with the best will in the world, even someone like you, Tom, who has done whatever, however many years in pensions, understands it all inside out, back to front. I think even you looking at some of the more complicated cases are going to sit there and go, oh gosh, this is actually, what does it all mean? So we might be giving people information, but it might be a little bit more difficult for them to understand what that information represents. There's also areas, for example, crystallized pensions aren't included on here. Again, it's I'm not criticizing because I think there's all sorts of good reasons why they're not, but drawdown pots won't be included, but nor will be partially crystallized funds where you've taken some element to put it into drawdown. So the uncrystallized element that remains won't be on the dashboard either. So people 
are going to be closer to that. They, they would have just done that maybe in the last few years. They'll be engaged with their pension savings, but that will be missing. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure that what we need to do is just make sure that we explain all of that. But yep. understanding just a pension statement is, as I said, best will in the world. It's still going to be a little bit complicated for people to understand. And then you get to the issue of, well, okay, what do I do with that information? And how do I use that information? And what does it all mean? It's the so what, isn't it? You know, when if you're writing anything, it's the so what. What do I do with that? What action should I now be taking? And I think really, realistically, for that to happen, we need to be able to export the data out of the dashboard um, into a different environment, either on a provider's website or maybe an advisor's website, wherever it happens to be, out of the out of the commercial dashboard or the maps dashboard, into some different other place, and then start to figure out what that actually means in practice and what choices are there for people and how we can use that. And I think this just it feels very much like a general change within the industry over the last few years and looking forward that we are now not just we're looking at information. We want people to be better informed, but we also want them to make good decisions and to make decisions with help and support. And whether that's advice or whether that's guidance and it's fitting in, I think, with this complete culture change, I think, within the industry, that that's where we're moving to. So the ability to export data, I think, has to be there. But at the same time, as we've said before, all of this has to be done with the background of protecting people from scammers. And that's the real danger. So I think it's absolutely right that we go along those lines, but we have to tread carefully, I think, and just make sure that we can keep the scamming risk to a minimum. All, all of this is a really good problem for the industry to have. If we've got to the yeah. point of customers saying, well, I've got this data, could you, could, could you please tell me what to do with it? You know, that, that, that feels like progress to me relative to where we're at a lot of the time at the moment. So It does. A bit, I think it just, as I said, it feels like a cultural change that we are getting to the point where we're saying to, we're not just saying to someone, you're coming up for retirement, you've got these benefits. We, we really genuinely want to help people make the best decisions they possibly can. And whether that's through advice or guidance or MAPS guidance or provider guidance, it it doesn't matter. It's about helping people because pensions are so, so complicated and so difficult to understand. And just being able to give people the power to actually understand what they already have and then understand what they could do I mean, at the risk of going off down a rabbit hole, so I'll just ask this question with a slight degree of trepidation. Are you hinting <laughs> that there needs to be a, a shift in the advice guidance boundary there, Rachel? Is that where you're going with that one? I think that's something that we need to, to look at at the moment. Guidance is completely different from advice. We always need to keep that and recognise that. But at the moment, there are certain things that we can't communicate to our customers or to help them with because we are worried about overstepping this line and this mark. And I think it's about maybe taking a step back and trying to figure out how we can help people make good decisions or to prompt them to go and get advice, to get personalised advice and regulated advice to make good decisions. Okay, let's just just park that one for a moment. I've got a question. So I'd be interested from from either of you, from both of you, I've got no idea how many qualifying pension dashboard services there are going to be. How many 
How many commercial dashboards are there going to be out there? Is AJ Bell going to build a dashboard? Is Hargreaves Ramsdale going to build a dashboard? Are there going to be lots of them? Or are they just going to say, well, Maps has built a, under Chris's brilliant leadership, a fantastic <laughs> dashboard. So we'll all just export data from there. And actually, you know, the whole the whole commercial dashboard was a bit of a red herring. What, what, what are your thoughts around that? Okay, If I can just come in on that quickly, Rachel, before you, you do, just to kind of correct one point, Tom, in there, which is that I'm not, and the team that I run is not responsible for constructing or building the MAPS dashboard. That's a separate, a separate group within the Money and Pension Service. We are independent of whichever dashboard uses the, the infrastructure and ecosystem to do that. And I think also, just to add on to, to, to what Rachel was saying there as well about the kind of the journey and the use of data from dashboards, absolutely the context around the, the values on dashboards is just as important as the dashboards itself. I just want to, to make that, that clear. And there will be signposting, there'll be explanations, there'll be kind of guidance as to what figures can and can't be used for or where to go next and what to do. And that's, that's really important because you can't view dashboards in isolation. We're seeing them as the starting point of a journey rather than the de- destination in themselves. And it's important that we that we do that. But but dashboards themselves, it's really hard to say how many there will be. We've got three kind of commercial type dashboards who are, are working with us as part of the, the build and okay, testing in order to do that as a starting as a starting point. So that's Bud, Money Hub and Aviva are all kind of working with us. And I think what we are clear on is there are plenty of, of places where dashboards might come from. I think what we don't know yet is how many organizations within those places are likely to provide dashboards themselves. And the reason that we think having multiple dashboards is is important is because with the best will in the world, there won't be many people who wake up and decide, actually, I need to find a pensions dashboards today. I need to look at what I've got in my pensions. But they will go and check other financial issues. They'll look at their bank statements. They'll start thinking and looking around for what they want to do with an ISA potentially. Well, they'll be looking uh, into their AJ Bell account as they do every morning, won't they? Exactly. Absolutely. There'll be all those kinds of things happening. And we think that if when people are doing that, they are become aware and start to see a pensions dashboard, then that's the way that we're going to get them into starting off raising awareness and thinking about, actually, that's really interesting. I didn't know I could do that. They might not do anything there and then, but they'll know that they can do it. And really important is knowing where you can go if that is something that you decide that you want to do. So, so I think all of those things mean that I think over time, the market will evolve. I don't think we'll necessarily see every dashboard that's ever going to exist being there right at the start. But I think over time, more and more, more and more places will will actually become more suitable or more normal, I think, for areas to find dashboards. I think this is the first step of a journey, isn't it, as well? And at the moment, we're looking at, you know, we're taking it, at, I think, at the right speed as well, because we're looking at just at the moment, looking at pensions and things like that. But you're right, Chris, it's eventually, if this is all going to connect to this is going to be a platform dashboard, and then you're going to go on to connecting it to every other type of finance you have as well. You know, it's it's a lot to get your head around. I think actually the potential of where this could end up. I think it's also be really valuable for advisors a dashboard, whether they want to provide one or just connect to the Maps one or other providers ones, because it's just going to it's just going to be very useful. It's going to reduce their operating costs, isn't it? Yeah, I was, and I was thinking this morning about the sort of people who should really get access to a dashboard because that's something else probably just to make clear as well is that it's not just the individual who can look at their data on a dashboard. It's giving other people 
access and delegating access. And hopefully what will happen is that we'll be able to delegate it to financial advisors and guidance suppliers, uh, guidance specialists, and they'll be able to have a look and the advisors will be able to have a look. Also, power of attorney. And another one I thought about this morning would be an executor who was dealing with death benefits, for example. You know, someone dies and you are an executor for the estate to actually just be able to get online somewhere and find out all the pensions that person had. Just thinking about a practical basis, that would be would be so helpful and so useful for someone to do that and then be able to get in touch with the, the relevant pension schemes. So I think it will be a lot of help. And I think advisors might want to think about offering one of these. I'm sure you'd be able to white label a service somehow or whatever to put it onto your website and offering a commercial dashboard just to be able to demonstrate to your customers what you can, how you can help them plan for their, be, for their future life. Will it be an AJ Bell dashboard? The moment we are looking at all of this information coming in, there's, there's still some important bits of the jigsaw missing. And we, and despite this mountain of information, we still have got some more to come from the FCA. So there's this framework about governance and things like that, which have to be considered. So, yeah. So we're okay. definitely looking at it. Interesting. Okay. I'm conscious of time. So, I mean, you, you've both given some really interesting thoughts on all this. I just want to come back on the... The digital ID aspect of this, we've talked about data cleansing, we've talked about making it easier for people to find data. And, you know, I think and I hope that actually we'll come out the other side of all of this. I think, well, that was that was a huge pain to, to deliver, but goodness me, aren't we in a better place on the back of it? I just wonder, I mean, Chris, this is perhaps one for you since you've been closer to all this kind of architecture and, and, and so on. You know, are we actually going to get a spin-off benefit in terms of broader financial services? That's this data cleansing, this better customer identification process is going to mean it's, it'll be easier to get a mortgage or it'll be easier to, to find other lost assets. Do you, do you have any thoughts around that? I mean, it's definitely the first step in that journey, I think. And, and there's lots of discussion about open finance as an extension of open banking, a lot of discussion about open pensions. And, and I think although dashboards are slightly different from both of those things, because all we're doing is giving people information, not kind of transactability as part of that, actually what's required for pensions dashboards is just as necessary for open finance and open pensions. If we don't have clean data, if we don't have the information, if we're not able to match to individuals, then actually nothing else can happen either. So pensions dashboards are very much a precursor, I think, of what's happening there. I think generally bringing the industry kind of up in line with other industries in terms of digitization, in terms of customer service. I think in, in terms of, of actually catching up with things which have potentially been in place in legislation for a while is also really important. And so I think, yeah, we will get a better industry in a number of places, a number of areas as a result of people having to, to bring things up to speed for pensions dashboards. So I think there are wider benefits, certainly. The digital identity is a really interesting one because although the dashboards need to use a digital identity, we are in some in some circumstances, I guess, reliant on, on what happens elsewhere. We don't have the authority or the power to create a government-wide national digital identity. That's a I mean, if we thought pensions dashboards was a big enough task, I think trying to do that would be would be even worse. But we're working very closely with other parts of government and the DCMS in particular, which is running, uh, kind of putting together a new framework for, for, for digital identities and in particular government digital identity that we are looking to, to work very closely with in the next 18 months to two years. So that by the time that dashboards launch, hopefully it will be using a kind of government-wide 
digital identity so people can, can always use the dashboards as an access point to other government services as well or ultimately feed from other government services into pensions dashboards. Very interesting. Rachel, final thoughts from you on, on, on everything we've discussed? Anything we haven't talked about that we should? I don't think so. I think generally, really just to summarise what we've been saying, that this is, it's a lot of work. And it feels at the moment we're at a bit of a pinch point and looking forward for the next year, there's a a lot of work for providers to do to get into the right place. It's all achievable. And I think just feeding into, as we were just saying at the end, the potential for what dashboards can can do is immense. But it's making sure that we give people the right information so that they can understand it as much as they can and to interpret it. Sorry, but also being able to actually go to the the so what. And I think that is probably really important. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people. It's not just understanding what you've got, it's understanding what you can do. And I think it it does give us a very good opportunity to help people on a better level to do that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good challenge for the industry to address. Yes, very much so. Chris, Rachel, both of you, thank you very much for your time. It's been a really good walk through the the current state of pay on dashboard. Thank Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.